Well, like we've, like we've said a few times as, as we come to the Word, um, we've set aside these, these three weeks to focus on missions. And we take this time, as, as Diane reminded us, each year to focus on the missionaries that we support and the work that they are doing throughout the world. And this, this work is the, the work that Jesus commanded all of us to do. I mentioned a, a few weeks ago at, at the beginning of this time that, that even the idea of missions or of evangelism is quickly becoming one of the most offensive parts of true and biblical Christianity. From our culture's point of view, the gospel has never been more irrelevant. But the truth is that the cross has always been offensive. It, it has never truly been a bestseller even when it seemed like the church was at the top of society. The truth is that we have been given the most relevant message in the world. And we don't need to make it more relevant. What we need to do is make it known. This is what Jesus commanded his disciples to do before he was taken up into heaven. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Make disciples. That's the command here. Not fill your churches, but make disciples. Being a, a disciple of someone is, is close to what we, we have today in, in being an apprentice. Right? You, would, you would follow this person around and you would learn both from their example and from their teaching. And, and, and this is the model that Jesus gives us in his own ministry. His disciples followed him for three years. They watched him wake up, well, they didn't because he got up too early for them to go pray, but they watched him eat breakfast. They watched him go to, go to bed. They, they followed his manner of life, and they listened to his teaching. Example and teaching. This is uh, God's design for every Christian, discipleship. And it is his design for the growth of even us here in the local church. Discipleship is also his design for missions. You see, example and teaching, both imitating God's character and teaching his ways is his design for calling lost people and broken people back to their creator, where they can find health and, and healing, spiritual health and healing in him. So example in teaching is this pattern for discipleship and missions that God has, has always used. So I would, I would invite you that as, as we've been working through the book of Jonah, I want to take us there this week because Jonah is a book in the Old Testament that, that does a really good job at showing us um, God's heart for missions in the Old Testament. So please, would you, would you turn your, in your Bibles with me uh, to the first chapter of the book of Jonah? This book comes after Isaiah and, and Jeremiah, if you're looking for it, but uh, before Amos and all those other prophets with the, the fun names that we can't pronounce. Um, and I, wanna, I wanted to take us here, even though we've already gone through this first chapter, because... Um, because the book of Jonah has a lot to teach us about missions. And because this book, along with the rest of the, the prophets, was written to reveal the God of Israel to Israel, to make him known. The book of Jonah was written to the, reveal the God of Israel specifically in the context of his relationship with us as his creation, or with Jonah, the sailors, and, and the Ninevites, all the characters in this story. So would you, would you turn and hear from the word of God um, as, as he speaks to us through his word. Would you take a moment just to pray with me again? Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would, you would make this book shine as the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. 
Would you let the meaning of your word grow brighter and brighter until we not only see the light of your word, Holy Spirit, but until we see everything else by the light that shines out from it. For your glory, teach us to walk in this light. Amen. Okay, so Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, reads this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he, he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Well, in, in just these few verses, we have Jonah's commission, right? His, his job description from God, just like Jesus gave us that commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. This is Jonah's commission from God. And what, what we see in these first few verses is, is a pattern that happens over and over in the book. It comes in two parts. God pursues and his prophet runs. Even when it looks like Jonah is obeying, it, it becomes pretty clear that he doesn't want to. Just read the last chapter on your own. God pursues and his prophet runs. This is the pattern. And this pattern shows us something important. And that's that God initiates the rescue mission for Nineveh. God is the one who, who gets the ball rolling. God is gracious and merciful. That is, that is the theme of this book of, of Jonah. But, but Jonah runs away from his job. Jonah runs away because he doesn't think that the people of Nineveh deserve grace. Should I get your head around that one? He doesn't think that the, the people of Nineveh, this evil city, deserve the mercy and the grace of God. Because after all, these are evil people. They are twisted in, in how they think. They hate the truth of God, and they hate the people of God. So why should they get grace? They don't deserve it. And so Jonah is so wrapped up in this mindset that he flees from the very presence of God. But we, as we see in verse 4, God continues to pursue Jonah. Read in verse 4 that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea so that there was a, a mighty tempest on the sea so that the, that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid. The sea, um, the, the, well, the, the sailors were afraid so that um, they took the stuff that, that was in the ship and they chucked it into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So God continues to pursue Jonah with the storm, calling him to, to turn around and to head back to Nineveh. Jonah knew exactly what he needed to do. But as the, the story unfolds in the rest of the chapter, we see the sailors are, are frantic. They're scrambling around the boat, trying to figure out how to make the storm stop. We just read they, they threw everything out into the ocean. But they, they, they want to know which gods do they sacrifice to? Whose fault is this storm? How can they make the storm stop? So finally, they, they throw dice to find out whose fault it is. And the dice point to Jonah as the guilty person. So they ask Jonah, and he says they have to throw him overboard to stop the storm. But even then, these, these sailors still try to get back to shore to save Jonah's life. Only as a, as a very last resort do they throw him into the ocean. Even when God pursues Jonah, he would rather die and put these other people in danger 
than to obey God and give mercy to others. And we could we could continue moving on through the rest of the book of Jonah, just reading it and showing this pattern over and over again. Even Jonah's prayer is a little bit self-righteous. God pursues and Jonah runs. This happens again and again. And, and this pattern of, of God pursuing and of Jonah running reminds us what we said just a few weeks ago, the beginning of April, when, when we took our first look in Jonah. And it reminds us about what we said about why Jonah was written in the first place. So before we, we move on to a connection between Jonah and missions, I just want to remind us of that really quickly. So in, in talking about purpose, we need to ask the question, what is the book of Jonah all about? Or to put it another way, why was Jonah written? What is the purpose of this book? To, to answer this question, it's important to, to look at all the books around Jonah, right? We, we, we said before that, that Jonah is right in the middle of 12 other books, what we call the minor prophets. And they're minor not because they're less important, but just because they're shorter. But in the, in, in the Hebrew Bible, all of these books would have gone together in a single scroll because they all, they all have a similar theme. And this, this scroll was called the, the Book of the Twelve. And each one of these prophets packs a punch as they call out against Israel or against Judah, the two nations of, of uh, the Hebrews in the Old Testament. And each of these prophets are sent first and foremost, to call Israel, the, the people of God, back to the law, back to what God had spoken. So everything from that first book, Hosea, through to Malachi, each of those 12 books is part of this collection, and each of them has a purpose. And so it's, it's important to read Jonah as one of these, not just as a story, but as a story with, with a purpose, a purpose for Israel that they would have heard and understood. So as we as we work through this whole book of Jonah, like we said, it's pretty easy to see that Jonah is a negative example. You know, one, one scholar said that you could boil down the whole book of Jonah. The, 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 um, the lesson is just don't be like Jonah. But he said it also reveals something about who God is. Yes, Jonah is a negative example, but we see from God's positive example how we should behave. You know, because throughout this whole story, God pursues and Jonah flees. Jonah turns away from God. But all of the non-Israelites around Jonah seem to turn towards God. Even though Jonah is working hard to make sure that the mercy and the grace of God aren't ever even told to them. And at the, at, at the very end of this story, after this wicked city of Nineveh repents, Jonah gets very honest with God and he says, Isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? Isn't this why I ran away in the first place to Tarshish? Because I knew, I knew you are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Instead of responding in anger, God says back to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? He says, is it, is it right, Jonah, that you withhold grace and mercy even while you are receiving it yourself? And then the story ends. The story ends with that question kind of just hanging in the air, sort of like the, the parable of the two sons that, that Jesus told, you know, the, the one that went away and squandered everything and the, the kind of self-righteous son who stayed home. The story ends with, with him and his father sitting at, at the door of the party, and he's asking his son if he's really going to hold on to his self-righteousness and not come inside and join in, in the party. That also marks his identity as the son of this father. Jonah also ends with this same kind of question. 
And this question is directed towards, like we said, the nation of Israel. Israel were the, the, the children of Abraham. They, they knew about this promise that, that one would come through them who would bless the whole world. And they, they, as a nation, were meant to be a blessing to those around them as well. You know, even at the, the very beginning of their, their nation, God gave them a, a two-part mission when he made them into a nation. From all the way back in, in the wilderness at Sinai, God said to them, he said, keep my commandments, for that will be your wisdom. And then he says this, in the sight of the peoples, who will say, surely this is a great nation that is wise and, and an understanding people. Israel was meant to be a shining light, a blessing to the nations around them. This was the promise that God gave to Abraham, right? All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Israel was meant to reflect God's glory. Israel was supposed to imitate God, to be an example of his holiness to the world. That's the first part of their mission. And the second part is that they were supposed to proclaim the truth of God. Jonah was given a message. Israel was given the law. God revealed himself to the people of Israel so that they could teach the nations about the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we, we see this throughout the Psalms, that, that this is Israel's mission. Psalm, Psalm 18.49 says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Psalm 33.8 says, let all of the earth fear the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 46 says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I will not be put to shame. Israel was always meant to, pro to proclaim God's work and his word to the nations. But Jonah and Israel as a nation did not do what God had designed for them to do. That's really what these 12 books are written about. They are words against Israel. But notice that, that these two things that God gave to Israel are the same two things we said earlier about discipleship and about the mission that God gave to us, that Jesus gave to us. Right? E example and teaching is what we said. Imitating God's character and teaching his ways. Israel was given this same responsibility to reflect God's glory and to report his goodness. And so the, the whole book of Jonah was supposed to invite Israel with this last question to reflect on how well it was completing its mission from God. Was Israel at the time reflecting God's holiness? Was Israel at the time reporting God's goodness to the nations around them? Well, if, if we look at, at any of the other books around Jonah, the answer is no. Israel is full of idolatry, and they are, they are self-centered. They are pointed inwards in their worship of Yahweh. What about us? What about the church, the, the people of God today? We as, as Christians have been, have been grafted into the people of God. We have been given a message and a mission, each of us. And, and Jonah is a warning to the people of God. And this first chapter, I think, shows us a number of dangers that we need to avoid as the church if we are going to be faithful to the God who has called us and who has saved us. So as we, as we just kind of take this principle and, and apply it to us as the church, I just want to point out four dangers from this chapter, from this book of Jonah, as, as ways to kind of apply this warning to our lives. And, and specifically as ways to apply these warnings to our practices as a church and as individuals 
as, as we think about missions. And these dangers come from not just pulling stuff out of Jonah and using it to teach a, a lesson. We could pull lessons out of something like Star Wars or any other story we tell, but this is God's word. So these dangers come from, from understanding the purpose of the book of Jonah, which is, which is to reveal God in relationship with his creation and to call Israel back to their correct worship of Yahweh. This is the purpose. And so as, as, we, as we look at this worship that Israel was supposed to give, which included being a light to the nations by imitating God and by spreading the knowledge of his glory, I think we can see these four dangers as really a, a core teaching of this book. So four dangers. Here they are. They're uh, casual worship, arrogance, indifference, and, and limitations. Limitations we put on God. So the the first danger is, is the danger of casual worship. We can, we can see this one pretty easily. Jonah was an Israelite. So Jonah was one of those chosen people of God. God gave his word to Israel. God's temple was in Israel. God had chosen Israel as his chosen people. But for many in Israel, all of this didn't make worshiping God any more special or important. It actually made it more normal. You know, we, we, we see this in Jonah when he runs from the word of the Lord. Right? God says east and Jonah goes west. This kind of disobedience is really only possible because Jonah's worship of God had gotten so casual that it was no problem for him to sin against God. Because after all, God is gracious and merciful. Right? So if I can just come back to God, offer a sacrifice, and, and receive mercy on my own time... Why, why can I just not count, God, count on God to work for me when I want him to? Jonah's worship had become cold and casual. The question for us, I think, is, is how casual is our relationship with God? We, we sang some amazing truths this morning that, that God has brought us into the most intimate of relationships with him as our father. But sometimes we fail to hold this truth in intention with the other truths about God, about his holiness and his righteousness and his justice, his, his anger at sin. C.S. Lewis, in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia, he, he pictures God as a lion named Aslan. And when the, when the characters in the story hear about Aslan for the first time, they ask, is he safe? Is he safe? And, and the response to them is, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king. So my, my, my warning to us is, is don't let God's mercy toward you lead you, forget, lead you to forget what made his mercy necessary in the first place. Casual worship will end in a casual witness. But true and authentic worship of God for all of who he is will end in a true and authentic witness for God. This is the, the first danger is casual worship. The, the second danger is, is arrogance. This one really flows out of, out of the first one. When God asks Jonah why he ran away, Jonah said, because I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah says, I knew that even a, a word of judgment from you brings an opportunity for repentance, and these people don't deserve it. 
Why is it that, that when we are shown grace and mercy, we so easily think we've done something to earn it, even though those words teach us that they are all of grace? Jonah didn't think that the other nations around him deserved God's mercy. After all, they were evil and he was an Israelite. But he had forgotten that from the very start, God had said, it was not because you were more in number, because you were so great, Israel, that I chose you. But it is because I love you. So how many of us who have been shown grace and mercy for our sin hold the sins of others against them? When, when we can't be bothered to engage in missions or in evangelism, I think there's a, a very little bit of this arrogance or pride that, that leads us in this direction. Either, either there's this or that, that we forget what eternity without Jesus is going to look like. Knowing what the Bible teaches about those who don't know God and where they will be forever should spur us on to evangelism. And when we, when we use our grace as a, as a means for staying silent, it shows that we, we A, don't understand grace, or B, we don't understand um, the, the wrath of God against sin. How, how can any of us look a lost person in the eyes on the street and keep on walking? There are, there are many things in, in our society that, that we can rightly point out as sins against God, some, some atrocious things. You know, as, as Christians, we know they are just wrong. They go against God's clear design for, for human beings and human flourishing. But do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 to the church in Corinth? He said, such were some of you. Right? We were all dead in our sin, but God has made us alive in Christ. So keep, keep an eye out for this danger of pride towards others who need grace. And, and remember that you have been given grace yourself. This, this third danger is, is a bit shorter. It's, it's indifference. And in this story, Jonah is almost entirely passive. You can read through that whole first chapter, and Jonah does almost nothing. God calls Jonah, and he walks away. The storm comes, and Jonah is sleeping. Then while, while the sailors are trying to decide whose fault it is, and they're running around on the deck, Jonah is standing there, probably with his arms folded, just waiting for them to roll the dice. He only talks when he's forced to. And even then, his solution is to be killed instead of doing what God said. So this, this danger of indifference is probably the most convicting for me. You know, Jonah is indifferent. He doesn't even care. And his indifference puts the lives of those around him at risk. I think if you're going to be obedient to the call that Jesus has given, we cannot be indifferent. Maybe some of you listened to the, the video that I posted in the um, newsletter on Thursday night that I shared with you. In this, in this video, a, a pastor from America, David Platt, is trying to convince us all of the need for missions, specifically where there is no possibility of people hearing the gospel. Huge portions of our world have no opportunity for people to hear of Jesus. People could walk for days and not meet a Christian. Most people in these places will go their entire lives and never meet a Christian. And so as Christians, I think we cannot afford to be indifferent. Every day we spend indifferent to the glory of God and his, his call to missions is another day that people in these unreached countries live without knowing the saving truth of the gospel. I, I have struggled kind of with indifference my whole life. And maybe this is kind of part of an out-of-sight 
out of mind kind of thing that I've got. Um, you can ask my wife. I didn't text her much when we were engaged because she was in a different country. Um, not many phone calls unless she called me first. Um, but my, my entire life, I've, I've battled against, uh, I've battled hard against a lack of discipline, against a, a complacency that often leaves me kind of apathetic, just not caring about things. And you might not be there, but I think we can all grow in our concern for the lost and for the gospel to go out. So whether you are where I am or not, we can, we can warn ourselves of the danger of indifference. And I think the primary way we can, we can work on this is by praying, like Diane said earlier. Pray that God would give you a greater heart for lost people. Pray that God would bring you opportunities to share the gospel. Pray that as you grow in the knowledge of God in a, in a country and a community where there is the gospel, that you would grow also in bearing fruit and being concerned about those who cannot hear of it. Indifference is our, our third danger. Finally, this, this last danger, and this one is probably the easiest one for us all to fall into. And it is the danger of limiting what God can do based on your own experience. Jonah assumed that if he fled from God, that either A, God wouldn't be able to give mercy to the Ninevites, or that maybe God would send someone else. I think at best, Jonah thought that God would just be angry with him and kill him so that he wouldn't have to bring the gospel to the Ninevites. That's why he has the sailors chuck him overboard. But God actually uses Jonah's refusal at, at each step to, to preach to the non-Israelites, to, to save the sailors, even to save Nineveh. Anyway, sometimes it is, it is easy for us, I think, to hear of the work that needs to be done. To hear Ross and Cindy talk for, for a little while about all the work that needs to be done in, in Bangladesh. You know, even when they spoke of the need for a, a couple to come in and to learn the ropes so that um, the work can continue when Ross and Cindy can no longer do it. I think it's easy for many of us to think that there is nothing that we can do. Aside from dropping everything we have here and starting an entirely new life as full-time missionaries in Bangladesh, what are we supposed to do? But I think they gave us a few hints of how we could partner with them even when they were talking. And I think these are good for us to remember. Diane mentioned them earlier. Because God can still use you to spread the gospel in China or Bangladesh or Venezuela or Romania, even without you going to these places. I think there, there are two, two reasons or two ways we can engage with this, two ways we can fight off this idea that our limitations somehow limit God. First of all, we can pray. You know, prayer that God would accomplish his work through his word is all over the Bible. So would you pray that God would raise up a, this couple to help Ross and Cindy in Bangladesh? Pray that the Lord would, would bring workers into the harvest. Pray through this brochure that, that Rob made for us for this time. You know, all, all of our missionaries are in this brochure. You could take one a week and just pray for them. Even if you don't know the needs of the people in this brochure, God does. Just pray that God will accomplish his work. Secondly, you can give financially, like Diane said. And this isn't just a, a modern appeal for money, but, but the, the Apostle Paul, you know, he, he said in a few of his letters that he didn't take money from any of the people he was ministering to. And this is true. But in Philippians, we see that actually the, the Philippian church supported Paul when he was in a different city, Thessalonica. You know, and so, so 
Even though the church in Philippi, they had jobs and families and things, they couldn't leave, but they could be engaged and, and, and they could play a major role in Paul's gospel work in this other city by supporting him. So in the, in the same way, we can advance the gospel by, by donating to people and to organizations that we know are faithful to the word of God and are doing work for the good of the gospel. So we are not limited in, in helping to spread the gospel around the world because of our own limitations, where we live, the, the stage of our family life, or anything. In fact, with, with the internet and with our modern technology, today we have more access to the rest of the world than ever. You can do more missions from your home than some people were able to do on the ground 100 years ago. You can chat with people from around the world on your phone. You can donate money on the internet. You can write encouraging emails to workers around the world all from your living room chair. It's called a lounge here, isn't it? From the chairs in your lounge. And this may not be the same thing as being an example there on the ground of God's character or of teaching his word yourself, but it supports the people who do know the languages, the people who do know the culture, who are buying food in, in the market stalls and are having conversations with people. Don't limit yourself based on where you are when God has put himself everywhere. We are not limited because we can pray and we can give. So going all the way back to the beginning, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Jonah was told to go and to preach a message of mercy to the city of Nineveh. We have been told to go as well. And a a, a day is coming when, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some knees will bow in worship, and some will bow in defeat. And and God has called each of us to do what we can to bring the glory of the gospel to those who do not know it. Jonah was indifferent. We cannot be. So pray, both for your influence here and the influence of our workers abroad. Would you give joyfully out of the out of what the Lord has given to you? And would you continue in your life both to reflect God's character and to report his goodness as you share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? God, you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus, you are slow to return because you desire that none should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes by your spirit to the truth that you have shared with us. We could not come to you if you had not drawn us, and we thank you. Lord, would you open the eyes of all those who suppress the truth, whose consciences are are seared by sin. God, would you use us as instruments in bringing your truth to the nations? Because you have said you will, you will welcome all who come to you. Would you draw those around us to the light of the gospel? Would you put your word in our mouths? Send us out, Lord, as, as faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen.